Welcome back to Pragmatic Visions. We are kicking off a two-part episode featuring one of Land Design's most highly anticipated projects, Ballantine Reimagined. Originally master-planned by Land Design in the 1990s, Ballantine is undergoing an exciting transformation to reposition the 535-acre corporate park into an urban mixed-use destination. The vision for Valentine Reimagined positions the successful master plan community as a place where people of all ages and demographics can enjoy life. We sat down with Land Design's Dale Stewart, Rhett Crocker, and Nate Doolittle to discuss the long-term plans for Valentine Reimagined, while also taking a quick trip down memory lane to revisit the early planning efforts that set the stage for the development occurring today. Keep listening as our team shares the journey they have embarked on with Northwood and the local community to arrive at the bold vision for Valentine Reimagined. Thank you all for joining us. I'm excited to have you all on to talk about Valentine, but um, really to get a better idea of the story and um, how land design got involved with this community. I mean, it really goes back to the 90s. So Dale, how did we get involved with Ballantyne? Where did this story start? Well, it's really interesting. It really starts before Ballantyne. So Larry Best, who is retired, uh, happened to get on an elevator downtown. Johnny Harris happened to get on the same elevator. And while they were on the elevator, Johnny turned to Larry and he said, I really need to talk to you. You need to come and see me. And so what that led to was involvement in uh, what's called Moorcroft Village in at South Park. So we got involved in that project, went forward with it, and, uh, and it was under construction. And so a year and a half or two later, so still in those early 90s, I had a call from Johnny at 5.30 one afternoon. He and Peter Pappas were coming back from Greenville, and he said, I need you in my office at 9 o'clock in the morning. And so we go over and Johnny has a confidential potential relocation, corporate, major corporate relocation, and he wants to put them in Ballantyne. We had been through a rezoning in 1989 for Ballantyne, got it rezoned, and it had just been sitting there. And part of what was going on was, you know, the outer loop was being envisioned and NCDOT was looking at widening of what is 521 through Ballantyne. So a lot of sort of details and elements had to start to come together before he could start pitching the deal, so to speak. So I wish I could remember, but we had a code name because, of course, you couldn't reveal who, it, who was coming. Ultimately, it was State Farm. They were going to put like 2,500 employees there. And so the rezoning envisioned a business park and a residential, which became the Crescent community. But essentially, as he was a past member of the North Carolina Board of Transportation, he knew all of the programs that were going on. So they had a program at the time, which was a 50-50 NCDOT developer funded to get infrastructure going. And so he was able to go to NCDOT and Ballantine Commons Parkway, which is a little over three miles right through the heart of Ballantine, was a, we were capable of getting a 50-50 funding of that road, which was in concert with NCDOT building the widening of 521. So all of a sudden, we had the crosshairs of two major thoroughfares in conjunction with the future 485 that was coming, all of which helped pitch State Farm to relocate. That's how it got started. Well, and Dell, that was originally rezoned 
Ballantine was much larger than what we call Ballantine today, mm-hmm. right? It was what, 2,500, 3,000 acres? Roughly like 1,800, that. if I remember. Two golf right. courses. Yeah. <clears throat> envisioned at the time, which I thought was uh, an interesting thing when it was entitled the first time, it was actually entitled so that the golf course could go away if transit ever came about. Yep. And now transit's going to be coming. And that was kind of my next question is, you know, when it was originally master plan, did you anticipate this next evolution to come? Or was it more of like, here's the master plan, it's implemented, and we might not ever revisit it again. But now that we are, was that something that you anticipated? Well, well certainly as it relates to being able to redevelop the golf mm-hmm. course. And there was a uh, there was a cap on the office zoning uh, entitlement based on transit coming. And so it left that door mm-hmm. open. You know, it was way off in the future, but it left that door open. It's just part of Johnny's being able to sit in the corner. It was part of thinking about it in terms of to build the one golf course and not have a single home on it, which was intentional, right? Because you can't take that away very easily once people are living on Mm -hmm. it. So the corporate course only has hotel and offices on it, which is the piece that's being reimagined now. So that was extremely strategic 30 years ago to say that. Someday, this place is going to need a lot more density, and we need to prepare for that now. So that was... Well, and one of the things that happened, if, if you understand, this was a family. And so Johnny's sister, who was married to Smokey Bissell, uh, Smokey, we had, <laughs> we had a weekly meeting at 4.30 every Wednesday for like five years. <laughs> and so a lot of those very early meetings, particularly... When they got to the point that Crescent was going to come in and be part of Valentine, Smokey was in almost every one of those meetings. And so eventually that led to him buying the office park part of Valentine and building. And we were part of building the, the office park golf course and the clubhouse. I mean, it really is still part of that history of how we, I think, it led to that opportunity for us getting back into the reimagined Valentine. I always thought it was interesting that Valentine back then was nothing, right? It was, it was woods. And, and when you say Valentine, it was a project back then. And now it's an entire submarket in place in the city that's gone throughout the region. And, and back then it was just, it was a master plan. It didn't even exist. So yeah. Really interesting what it's turned into. You know, another element at that time was, you know, we have traffic studies with every major rezoning like this. And so the, the traffic study was done by a firm out of Philadelphia, as I recall. And so, you know, a lot of the the density that was built into it was based on all of this new road work that was coming that wasn't going to be funded by Johnny. Now, the, the internal loop road, which was part of that vision and part of what then got developed, was a, you know, was a, a you know, a developer program. But... You know, there were some other elements that had to make this work. You know, we had to get uh, CIP projects with Charlotte Water to get water and sewer there and, you know, some other attributes that helped build the infrastructure. So it was like two years before you could actually go vertical because there was so much stuff that had to get built. You know, we had the good fortune of being involved in all of that every Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) So where are we now? What is Ballantyne Reimagined? I think, well... Today, Ballantyne Reimagine is what we were just talking about is taking what's built. So we're not removing anything, right? So it's really taking what's built. The only thing we're removing is the golf course, the, the executive course, and essentially building 
downtown Ballantyne now. I mean, it really is about building small, you know, finishing the city, right? So it's kind of the idea of um, you've got almost all the food groups from from single family housing and the amenities around golf and office and some retail, but you really don't have the entertainment, the restaurants, the the higher density. So this really is a play to sort of fill in. It's urban infill at this point, right? It, it's kind of coming back in and, and filling in the, the grid to honestly make it, I'm not sure anybody 30 years ago imagined that it would be what it's getting ready to be, but there certainly was a an imagination to say that there's going to need to be something more out here. Um, and it's pretty exciting too, where you're thinking about, I mean, it really is infill uh, in a way, but getting light rail out there, right? So so the extension of light rail and um, the type of density, the amenities that we're gonna be bringing. You know, you think about these places, like Nate said, it, it's a it's whole district now. And you think about projects like River District, and it's hard to imagine right now, today, in 2021, that River District is ever going to, but it is, right? And so 25 years ago, people were probably looking at Dale like, you're crazy. Ballantyne's never going to look like, you know? <laughs> so so these places these places happen, and it's, it's pretty exciting to be a part of it, and then to, to continue to be a part of kind of the 2.0. I'd say what's really unique about it is they realized they had to adjust and transform to survive, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the, the suburban office park model, even though it's one of the most successful in the region in the Southeast, is just one where people don't want to be. So they looked at South End and said, well, why do, why do businesses want to go to South End? Why, you know, what makes these, these places different? And so that's what they're trying to bring to Valentine Reimagined. I think the unique part of it is how often do you design a place that has 17,000 people working there right now? And so it's, it's, a, it's a scale that, that we work on a lot of scales with this amount of acreage, but to, like Red said, integrate in and there's all of that square footage of people there today. And how do you enliven and like build off of that is, is a really unique opportunity. So it's mostly residential, retail, entertainment, outdoor spaces, gathering spaces. It's, it's building off that core. I think the other thing that's interesting is it's really sort of going right back to where we started because it's still all about the underlying infrastructure, getting public funding as much as possible. And so I think, you know, it's come full circle. We're back to that same point and now we're launching it all again by our involvement and envisioning. And that's a big part of what we do early on in master planning is we also got to envision, pull that infrastructure along as you come. I think to your point about it being a sub-market, what's interesting is not only was Valentine the rezoned 1,800 acres woods, a lot of what was around it was still woods. As a catalyst, and then what drove that sort of area of the county becoming major regional location that, that's built so much in the way of community and not just the infrastructure, but all of the parts of the puzzle that came together. It's a huge success in terms of the quality of the development that's occurred. And we still integrated schools and other attributes along the way yeah you know it it is really it, it, the, on the infrastructure side we were almost a victim of, of our success right <laughs> yeah. so highway you had two major thoroughfare corridors that were built 
and Valentine's so successful that, like Red said, we've had to almost think about we're not going to mitigate the growth and success in the future through just more roads. So we spent a lot of time on greenway connectivity, light rail, a lot of multimodal aspects, and even just getting housing and all of the entertainment where people are working. I mean, that's really the core of what, what it's all about is people will get in their car to drive across the street to go to lunch. And, and so it's changing that dynamic. I think it's important too, is what you said is, you know, kind of place in time, right? So the late eighties, early nineties, that was the model. I want to have my office building out in the suburbs. It's cheaper rent, cheaper land, access, whatever. Parking. Parking galore. I have all the parking <laughs> I want. And where we are today, we see, and, and it's been a bit of an evolution in Charlotte. I mean, I remember when I moved here in the whatever mid nineties, late nineties was only office uptown, right? Not a lot of, you know, it was like five o'clock, someone turned the lights out mm-hmm. and it was closed until Monday morning. Yeah. Right. And so I think there's a, there's been a great sort of infusion of, of life downtown and that's become a bit of the Charlotte vibe. And I think, you know, that's then going to South end, you know, all of that corridor, how it's grown. I think that's just sort of place and time where we are. That's what people want. They don't want to work at the office silo anymore, right? right they want to right. be part of some excitement, some grit. You know, you want to smell the city and hear the city. And you want to be part of all that. And the exciting thing too is this is not the end, right? We just like 30 years ago, we had to imagine what might happen in 30 years. I mean, there's still life after this, right? So what's next? Is it, you know, parking lots start going away and buildings start going. I mean, there's there's life after this. That, yeah. You know, I don't know that I'll be here to see it, but there's something to be done down the road to, to, to redevelop. I hope I am, but probably not. So to your point, Nate, talking a little bit about the infrastructure, um, were there any challenges going back and kind of seeing what we did initially and then trying to adapt and evolve what we had done currently? Were there any unforeseen challenges when just looking at what was there and then how do we evolve into the next phase of Valentine? Dale designed everything perfectly. <laughs> you know, the uh, yes and no, I don't think um, they ever envisioned this much intensity on this piece of property. I mean, you're talking about 30 story apartment buildings going up on 500 acres. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't think a lot of Charlotte has seen this sort of density being proposed. So the bones are there, and I think we're building off of it. I think it's trying to be resilient, I think it's trying to be a lot more flexible. So, We understand things are gonna change through time. How do we set up that infrastructure to be flexible? But we're putting it all in right now so that it's prepared for for a few reasons. One, we wanna put it in right now. So from a pure roadway uh, transportation standpoint, all of that's built out today. It relieves existing congestion. It provides other opportunities for people to bike or or walk or, or however to get to work. So we want that to go in day one, even if it's not required. And then just continue to build off that as we move forward. So One of the things I think is important to insert here is, you know, when, when we look at the success that, that land design has in this market, one of the reasons that Camp North End and the River District and Valentine's uh, all of these projects still have to be economically viable. And any time that, that we together with the developer, part of that is, is building on experience. Part of it is telling the story. Part of it is engendering the city embracing the project. You know, the River District is part of a, of a community investment corridor where we 
actually voted in 2014 to create a bond program, which we're now taking advantage of the bonds that were that are being sold. And so Valentine is going to be the beneficiary of that same kind of public-private collaboration. And I think it puts us in the heart of that. And it's so important with these major projects that we can say, oh, we've done that. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the one of the things we haven't mentioned, one of the neatest things about this evolution is Valentine previously was private. It was closed off. It was corporate. Mm-hmm. You had to pay for a green fee. You had to be an employee. There's probably security running around. <laughs> and, and this evolution opens it up to the public. And so everyone in the community, whether you live in Valentine, whether you live in Huntersville, can come down. Even now, it all hasn't been built. They opened up a golf course, and it's just a 100-acre park today where they're hosting all sorts of events and farmer's markets. And this evolution is about community and, and being more outward-focused, which is exciting for us. Um, so if you really want to say, well... And that's how we got public money. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big part of it. You know, so it's like, okay, well, what really allowed this to happen? Part of it is Smokey got to that point in life. It was like... All right, I got a good opportunity to sell this place. And fortunately, the buyer that came along, we've now bonded with. I mean, I think they really have adopted you guys. Not that Smokey's left this market. He's doing a lot of other things. But I think I don't think I could have envisioned him doing this. It took Northwood's arriving and saying... No, took, yeah, Northwood, Northwood had the vision, right? Yeah. To say that it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of opportunity here. So. He, he had success in his model and he didn't have to change it, right? Right. And they, they had to create a different model because they paid a lot of money for it and yep. they had to leverage things in a different way. So, yeah, that's 100% true. It's a good time to ask, what are we and Northwood doing to make this a community that lasts? What are we looking forward to in the future? In 30 years, what are we preparing for? Well, I think there there's... And there's probably 10 or 15 years worth of work that's being prepared right now. So it's it's really, as Nate said, building the community, building the residential, the park, the all the amenities, the downtown. But I think it's also setting, you know, a big part of that and what Northwood's commitment, even through the entitlement, their their commitment for right-of-way land, for example, for transit to come in is a huge commitment. I mean, uh, there's there's massive value in the land that they're setting aside to allow for that to happen. But that's also a commitment to say that's the future, right? So at some point, if we don't open up some opportunity like that, we just, we're, you know, unless we're all flying around, we're not going to be able to just keep loading more onto the system. As Nate said, we just can't build more roads and probably shouldn't. So I think there's the biggest thing for them probably is their commitment of either land or resources or or money towards future investments that are region-wide, right, or regional in terms of, and, and light rail being the biggest one. I was going to say, I used to live in that area, and I know a lot of people from Fort Mill go into Ballantyne for work. Do you think there will be a connection to that sometime in the future? It was talked about. I don't know that it'll, at least in the plans that we did, it, it does not go. You can't even go between two counties. <laughs> and go over a state line, but it should. It, it it definitely should. I mean, I, I think that's one of those things that I do think in my lifetime I'll see. I, I really do. I think there's just there's so much growth that that's continuing to happen south that I do think that'll happen at some point. I don't know that it'll be. Who knows whether it'll be light rail or or some other form. 
but there definitely is a need in the in the city is is not going to stop growing. So, and that's an attractive place to be for sure. Yeah, what uh, to answer your question, one thing I I think Northwood has done and we've supported it with our ideas and design thoughts is I mean, they are really programming community. Like they, they have full-time staff that are trying to engage all of their tenants, all of the surrounding neighborhoods into events and activations. So we're not just building an amphitheater in a park. Like it is heavily, heavily programmed with things that bring people together. And uh, a lot of our clients do that. A lot of our clients don't. And they, I mean, they're really invested in, in that entire area. They have so much land and so much invested in it. You know, I think that's what's going to make it really sustainable. It's, it allows them to continue to evolve. Sometimes the smallest things are what makes a place cool or makes where somebody wants to go hang out. It's not something purposeful we design. I think that's a great point because Northwood's commitment to this land goes far beyond just building another multifamily project or retail. It, they are they are stepping into a role of being community builders, right? So. The easy thing would have been for somebody to buy it, rezone it, sell five acres to this guy, five acres to this group, five acres, to, you know, and just sell it, get out of it. And they are really investing heavily on the community side. I mean, one of the first things we're doing is a, what, four or five acre park right at the heart, right? Right at the front. So, you know, just a, and it's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be one of the best parks in, in, in Charlotte in the region. And I know the designer, so it's going to be like really, really, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's going to be, I mean, it's just things like that. Things like the, the amphitheater that, that Nate mentioned and all of the commitment to trails and greenways. And those are not things that they necessarily have to do. They could easily sell this and walk away and be very happy. Um, but I think just their commitment to creating that neighborhood that Charlotte doesn't have today, right? I mean, Charlotte's built on these neighborhoods. You got Myers Park and Dilworth and South Park and Ballantyne is one of those, but Ballantyne can be a whole lot better. And I think they're, they, they've got a huge commitment to it um, that is going to benefit the city in a massive way. I think for so long, there's been this stigma around Ballantyne as this suburban edge city that's just kind of like an office park. So it's really exciting to feel like this will have that downtown core that makes people want to go to Ballantyne. So in 50 years, kind of getting more futuristic, I mean, do we see Valentine becoming a smart city? Is it, you know, autonomous vehicles? You know, what are kind of the opportunities for the next evolution of Valentine? I don't think it takes 50 years. I mean, that, that conversation has already been had, even when we started um, working with them a few years ago on this vision. And again, credit to, to Northwood. And they're, they're already having a lot of uh, conversations and relationships with Folks that are creating autonomous people movers, right? Or, you know, because a big part of this is there's still a lot of office and there's a need to connect. And, and you know, we live in an area where days like today, it's not very comfortable to even walk 50 feet outside, much less, you know, a quarter mile. So they're, they're already thinking about that, right? How do you start to incorporate that? And it's, it's, not, it's not just that. It's, it's thinking about smart in terms of parking, right? So there's there's a tremendous amount of infrastructure that's there today for, for parking. And we have a big event. We shouldn't have to build more parking for that, right? There should be ways to connect people and let them know where, where it is and a safe way to get there. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it takes 50 years. I think it's already being thought about. And I think this will be, you know, the, through the entitlement and we're building is one of the commitments was the first city's first mobility hub, right? One of the first 
transit connections of bike, ped, scooter, you know, rideshare, whatever that is. So uh, there's there's already a commitment, and I think my gut is that Ballantyne will be one of the first to embrace as new technology is on board. You know, another thing that we I think we realized that we haven't talked about is their advantage is they um, it's one single owner for 500 acres, tens of thousands of employees, thousands of people living there. That that's the same acreage as South Park. That's the same acreage as Uptown. But to get all of those different owners on board with transforming technologies or smart city, it, it's such a heavy lift that their advantage is they can make that decision so much quicker than someone else. And so that's what that's what a lot of this transformation is about. Is if it would if it required ten different developers to do it. It would have taken 10 times as long. Who knows if it'll always be that way, but I think that's their advantage is they're, they're trying to protect their asset that they bought and then they're trying to leverage it. So they're always going to have to be on the forefront of, of continuing to change um, through time. Do we believe this is a model case study for repositioning suburban office parks and golf courses around the country? Sure. I mean, I think it already... It already is starting to make the rounds and and look and and there's been you know there's a lot of I don't know if it's office parks or areas like this that we've looked at in terms of infill or how you can integrate other uses. But Nate's point about single owner is their massive advantage, right? Most of these it's kind of like the they, shopping mall. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's kind of like you're we're looking at 15 different shopping malls across the country about how you dial back so much of the retail, but incorporate other uses. And and it becomes a little bit of a Rubik's cube because the department stores own their land or, you know, there's all these missing pieces. You, you don't have that, uh, you don't have the ability to to think about it as one big piece. And I think that's the, that's the massive advantage that they have. And, and it's will be a case study, but that's, there's just so many pieces that they're able to do that others will be able to learn from. Yeah, I think that it's it's a tough answer for me on a case study because it was a thriving, I think it's the most populated office submarket out of Uptown Charlotte in North Carolina. I'm probably wrong on that, but it was a thriving... Wasn't broke. (laughs) So when you talk about suburban office parks, they're usually broken and they're trying to fix themselves because they can't land tenants or rent. They bought an asset that was highly performing and saw way down the road, they're going to start losing a few opportunities to the south ends mm-hmm. and the places that divide, you know, where everybody wants to be. So they were really proactive. So it's a case study for somebody that wants to be proactive, but if, if they're a declining suburban office park, not in a great location, it's just going to be a different dynamic. What's the most rewarding part of working on this project and land design, continuing to be a partner to Ballantyne and the community and now to Northwood for each of you? Well, you know, the fact that I'm still around and I can see I can be part of it, that whatever history I had can be informative in terms of how we're thinking about it. You know, for me, it just means like so many of the clients that we've worked with over the years, we, we must be doing something right if you can work for somebody for 30 years and in this case, we have maintained that relationship, have so much history, the folks who arrive then and want to go forward, we're like, well, we really need land design to be part of this process. I think there's, um, to me, there's, I agree with Dale, there's, I mean, there's a huge amount of pride in the fact that 
the longevity, right? That you're still involved. I also think there's something when you when you sit back, I mean, aside from the easy answer, it's it's one of the most exciting projects in, you know, East Coast, Southeast, you know, whatever you want to call it. And and to be a part of that, that's what we all set out and said we want to be the best, right? So we want people to 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 want us to be part of that team. So it's it's exciting in that. But I also think it's pretty exciting to think, like I was saying earlier, that all of these projects are special in that time and place. So when we designed Valentine 30-something years ago, it was the best of the best, right? And to Nate's point, it was never broken. It actually performed extremely well. And then all of these years later, to be still seen as the firm that can envision the best of the best means we've changed too, right? We've we've evolved as a firm and we've grown as a firm. And we've, uh, I mean, just the way that we got involved in the project sort of, but I mean, I think for me, that's, not only Northwich is a great group of people too. I mean, this is we've talked before. It's just such a relationship business, and I know Nate and myself. Have, you know, we've just gotten close with them, right? They're just they're just good people to be around. Uh, you have fun, um, and that makes a big difference, right? That it's a lot easier to do great work for people that you like being with. Yeah, de- definitely for me on the, the relationship side, it's rewarding to to look at your client after all these years across the table, and it's like we've we've accomplished something. Um, probably the most rewarding part, though, is you know when you look at a project like this day one, it it is it's complex to the tenth degree. I mean, probably one of the biggest rezoning Charlotte's ever had, infrastructure transportation challenges. On top of building all of this around a successful office park that has 17,000 employees, and we're in the weeds of picking out door handles right now, and we're under construction, and and to think we've successfully gotten to this point with public funding and and all of the permitting challenges, that's the rewarding part is our clients still looking at us and excited. There's a lot of bumps in the road, so that's what drives me to find the next next complicated project to work on. We know we can do it. How many total phases is Valentine? Well, they claim two, but uh, <laughs> there's probably 10 or 15 sub-phases. I mean, for example, uh, there's one multifamily building and some retail going up in this first phase. But just in that area of Valentine, there's four other towers that could go up restaurants the amphitheater mm-hmm. the park all of that yeah yeah and so it it could it probably will be the next 30 years like Rhett said when then they're taking out parking lots on the west side i think what's interesting is they it's so big and they control it all they continue to evolve you know they can continue to see what the market wants to see and evolve it's exciting we'll have to just continue to check in with the team and like what's next what's the next phase yeah. how is it happening even the even the pop up stuff like mm-hmm. what we're doing with the golf course right now and what Red and Lori and Adam are working on to just go out there and like take photo like those pop up type things of open space I think are really cool. No, it's amazing too that the community can still experience it right now. It's not something that's like forthcoming and kind of closed behind a curtain. It's it's been a very open process and people can experience it today. So it's sometimes interesting how you know things connect over time. So 15 years ago, Brad led an effort to get uh, selected to do the Little Sugar Creek Greenway Master Plan. And so, although he didn't live to see that, we've been involved in that project for 15 years. What's interesting is we just opened the last section 
and that's what we're connecting to. Pretty, pretty incredible how this comes together. That's yeah. awesome. If you look at the video, the video that, that just came in, yeah, I think that's a connection to that section. Yeah, the other thing I'd say that's interesting is like, and Red always says this, like, we didn't work on Valentine for the last 25 years, right? right? So opportunity comes back to us and we make sure that we take advantage of it. So always coming full circle. That's right. It's a testament to our client relationships for sure. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you all for joining us on the podcast. We always appreciate it. And um, that's all we got. Right. Yeah. Thank, you. Yeah, thank you. Pragmatic Visions is produced and programmed by Allison Beecham with additional production and editing by me, William Young. You can find our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn Radio. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.